Metabulous Tube podcast on the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio drama, episode 6. Hey everyone, and welcome. I am David. And I am Ben. And tonight is the final episode of our bonus series, episode 6, Fit the Six of the six. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The last episode ever. <laughs> yep. Went out April 12th, 1978. It was a one-off cult favorite, but BBC yeah. decided never to pick it up. And Yep, never Douglas... got repeated. It's only people like us who kept the tapes from... Yeah, kept the flame <laughs> yeah. alive. Uh, All these Douglas years. Adams really became an obscurity. Just no one really yeah. knows what happened to him. And... No, yeah. yeah. Hold up in a motel in Burbank or something. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, well... Yeah. He, he, Script tr- penning out hot little treatises on the planned political economies or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, just to skip to the end, actually. Okay. As the, as the saying goes. Thank you for listening to episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, I can remember very, very clearly, really enjoying that this was going to be the last episode, hmm. and I can also remember, even at a relatively early age, being vaguely disappointed that they were going to make a second series. I thought this ending was so well done and Mm -hmm. such a, both a kind of a downer, but also (laughs) a kind of transcendent sort of like, well, yeah, maybe things aren't that bad after all. Right. Um, I I thought it was perfect, and I still do, actually. I mean, I'm not discounting, you know, the second series and, you know, everything else that came after, but Mm -hmm. uh, I still think that actually it could have ended on this, and I personally would have been very happy it has a nice uh, completeness to it with yes, being on prehistoric earth yeah and learning that the computer experiment's been botched by these golga french golga french yeah b arkers the b arkers <laughs> and um you know that kind of end you know when they it goes straight into because we've had the eagles all the way through and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's louis armstrong doing wonderful world with such a great great song he's mm-hmm. you know and it's and you get the kind of tweeting birds and Arthur and Ford are kind of left. With the cavemen. <laughs> desperately trying to teach the cavemen Scrabble. <laughs> this was the first time I ever heard What a Wonderful World by Louis Arm- really? Armstrong when this went out. So that wow, was okay. kind of special. I always have that memory of whenever I hear that song on the radio now. It uh, reminds yeah. me of the final episode of the first Hitchhi- series first of season, Hitchhikers. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a perfect song. It's a perfect song to end the end the show on, really. And it just goes to show Adams really knew yeah. how he wanted this to sound, and just yeah. this musical choices that are throughout the story just fit perfectly within the narrative. And I think that has the large, largely to do with this is probably the soundtrack that Adams wrote to. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I, I've not been that good picking up the soundtrack all the way through, but I think I detected some Jean-Michel Jarre mm-hmm, at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, which is absolutely what everyone was listening to at that time, yep. if they were not of a punk rock persuasion, which I don't think Adams was. No, with his prog rock and yeah, some no, of the no, no. obscure German LPs that he had earlier in the series. It's the prog, yeah. Yeah, uh, Jarre was probably more his speed. Yeah, yeah. So I had kind of had the opposite, yeah, the opposite. Uh, Interesting. Uh, reaction to this when I first heard it. To me, it was a real downer because we said goodbye to Zephod, Trillian, and Marvin. And <laughs> for all killed. practical purposes, they were dead. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought it was it's like, great. Okay. Um, I guess they're dead now. 
this upset the 10 year old me that I really liked Zaphod. I liked Trillian. I liked Marvin and they were gone and escape pods were supposed to be there. They were supposed to rescue the droids from the Tantive IV. You know, our heroes were not supposed to be eaten by a carbon copy of the ravenous bug or beast of trawl. <laughs> so I, it's funny you say that because that's one of the references that I wrote down here. It's like, this is totally the Star Wars episode. Hmm. When all of the, um, you know, the kind of fleet commanders are reporting to Zaphod and to Trillian. Right. It's like all they sound like is those endless kind of tediously underutilized British character actors. <laughs> who they have in all Michael the Star- Sherd. <laughs> they have in all the, you know, have in all the Star Wars movies, you know, right. Peter Cushing, etc. Right. All from, all from Doctor Who. And the kind of battle fleet and escape pods. And, right. you know, the idea that, you know, you run to the escape pod and like, oh, hang on. <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> One of them isn't there. It's, <laughs> it's just perfect. So you uh, you came across this a little bit older than I was. So yeah, I was I was, I was, a, li- I was a little bit more of a teen. Yeah. Um, so I was more into the kind of like, you know, mopey sort of. Angst. Yeah, everyone <laughs> dies, man. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. That was my kind of reaction to it, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, again, is the kind of randomness of, you know, the kind of theme all the way through Hitchhikers. This kind of, you know, this randomness and probability and meaninglessness and that idea that characters that are written they don't always have to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't. The only reason characters survive is because you know the author likes them. Right. And in this instance, the author could care less, <laughs> or actually, the author wants to make a point, which is you know, ah, you just die, and mm-hmm. sometimes the escape pod isn't there, and sometimes the metaphorical inflatable chair from the plastics <laughs> company devours you. That's what mm-hmm. I always imagined when they were talking about, you know, the spaceship kind of coming alive. I was right. always imagining the Master's inflatable black chair. Oh, from Terror of the Autons. From Terror of the Autons, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder how much that was John Lloyd that killed him off rather than Adams, because Adams oh, okay. brings Zaphod back right away and fit the seventh, and Marvin too. So I wonder if that was uh, a Lloyd contribution, because it comes during the Hagen Endon scenes, which I believe are a Lloyd contribution, because they never never reappear as far as uh, my recall is in the Hitchhiker's canon. They're they're totally a one-off for the radio drama. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that, I, I mean, they're quite a little bit hard to realize maybe, and certainly on the TV one. I mean, I think actually uh, remembering back to my reaction in season two, I was kind of disappointed that there was going to be a season two, hmm. but then I was actually a little bit pleased that they just kind of then, okay, they're dead. Oh, actually, no, they're not dead, which seems to me, again, to kind of fit quite well into the sort of this kind of meaninglessness, mm-hmm. this kind of obviously written nature of Hitchhikers, that right. this is, it's just, you know, Zaphod's just this guy, you know? I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's... It's, you know, this is just some people I've written down on a piece of paper, you know, yeah. which is, which is mm-hmm. kind of good. But yeah. there is a there is a kind of 1970s bleakness to it. You know, again, the cliche everyone says about 1970s cinema and drama that lets always this kind of downbeat end. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that the characters that we, uh, the kind of character characters are all killed. Right. And the kind of identification characters, i.e. myself and my other are then marooned for the next two million years on <laughs> a planet where they have a choice between eight people who are really not that much fun as company and right. they can't help right. and people who are just the worst possible people ever. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It's kind of existential is what mm-hmm. it is, which I think mm-hmm. appeared to appeal to the teenage me. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can fully understand it and I appreciate it now, but at the time as a, a 10 or 11 year old, it just sort of like, no, the, the, right. they, <laughs> Zaphod and Trillian are dead. I couldn't deal with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So what did you make of the uh, Golgan Frenchian arc thing with uh, the A arc, the B arc, and the C arc? Well, again, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, in some ways, that seems to me a kind of Lloydian conceit, maybe a little bit. I mean, hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of full-on satire. It's like, okay, you know, these are the people who irritate us in the 1970s. You know, this is the kind of, you know... I mean, I can imagine Margot and um, Margot um, uh, Ledbetter yeah. uh, being, you know, on the B fleet. Um, you know, it's, it's oh, she's an executive's wife. That's that's her role. Exactly, exactly. So, the, I mean, this, these are these are B fleet people. So it's again, it's kind of almost back into it's almost kind of sitcom territory. And I think it's kind of instructive that the captain is played by David Jason, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Who is, I think you probably know, um, is like a one hundred percent sitcom stalwart throughout certainly throughout the 80s maybe less i don't know what he was doing in the 70s but you know with with um only fools and horses right he was uh detective inspector jack frost too in a touch of frost yeah he was a touch of frost but he was a sitcom comedian i mean the mm-hmm. del boy falls through the bar is the kind of Derek you know, trotter del boy yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. um and then also the other thing that really popped into my head when i was listening is that is that again the relationship between the captain and the kind of first mate or you know his captain friend there's two of them there's two there's the two, number like, one and number two number one and number two and then mm-hmm. there's like the kind of sergeant major figure um and that completely mirrors all the kind of british army sitcoms of the 1970s so things mm-hmm. like especially something like it ain't, it ain't half hot mum mm-hmm. which we used to watch as kids because it was set in burma um, during World War Two, which is my, my dad fought in Burma in World War Two, so like oh. we always had to watch that particular sitcom. But mm-hmm. you know, the, the, you have the two posh officers who are basically idiots, um, and then you have this really angry sergeant major, and that's a kind of standard sort of sitcom mm-hmm. sitcom structure. Well, um, that angry sergeant major was played by Aubrey Woods, who Aubrey Woods, Dalek exactly. controller in Day the, of the Daleks, the, and also having poked around on the internet, um, the Candyman from. Um, Willy Wonka. Really? <laughs> yeah. The, can- the guy who sings the Candyman can. What a range. What a range. What a range. Aubrey Woods. There you go. You see? He's the, orig- the original Candyman. None of mm-hmm. that Happiness Patrol nonsense. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that seems... I mean, there's kind of some standard kind of sitcom-ish stuff going on here, which seems to me to be more sitcom-y than Adams has done before. So, I'm, I'm maybe detecting that that may be some of Lloyd. Well, I think Adams knew he wanted to end on prehistoric Earth. Now, how much Lloyd contributed in in this final episode, I'm pretty sure that the Hagen Ennons are his because Adams replaced them with Disaster Area, the death metal band in, right. in, yeah, in later okay. later books. But uh, right, he does right. keep them on prehistoric Earth, at least in the television series. I can't remember in the books offhand. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also felt for, I mean, having you told me when we first started recording this, that an original, um, that originally they were trying to get Eric Idle involved. I felt that Michael Paul Palin. Pre- Michael Palin. Uh, 
Hang on, was wasn't Eric Idle the? I I I said both, but I, I think I think it was Michael Palin that they were trying to do do the book. Oh, for. okay, okay. Because again, Ford Prefect, I, I was getting a very strong um, uh, from McGiven. I was getting a very strong Eric Idle vibe, especially kind of the. Um, you know what I mean? Know what I mean? Nudge, nudge, wink, I mean? wink. And the kind of life of Brian, just the kind of just stupid cheerfulness about things. Right. Even though they're, you know, stuck on prehistoric Earth for the next two million years. He's, well, he, he loses it with the with the Golgan Frenchians during the That's during true. The he does. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. He loses all patience with them. And I like how they discover it's the Earth with Slarty Bardfast's signature on, which always threw me for a loop, the glacier, which... <laughs> <laughs> oh right. Well it would be a glacier, wouldn't it? Glacier. Glacier. What did you think they were saying? Well, I had no idea and I you think I asked inferred. my parents and they they explained it was a glacier, but I said, "Well, why aren't they saying a glacier?" And I think that was really the first time oh, I learned our two countries had different ways of pronouncing words. A uh, glacier, a glacier. And it is different, isn't it? Yeah, I've never really thought of that before, very, but very you are different. correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I just thought it was super funny, again, at the time, that something as kind of inconsequential and also consequential as just someone, something inconsequential as, as an artist signing a work, yeah. compared to something as consequential as discovering that that means you're on prehistoric Earth, <laughs> compared to something else that's like weirdly consequential, which is walking up to a, a glacier or a glacier even, and just seeing a giant signature, like miles <laughs> long, saying "Slarty Bart Fast," um, in, and it was—I imagine these kind of giant, kind of mile-high oh, yeah. letters. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which again was just so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and then you just imagine, like Ford Prefect, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay." It's, it all makes yeah, sense all right. now. That makes sense now. All right, I have to walk all the way back now to right. wherever hell, wherever the spaceship crashed. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I often wonder about the A arc and the B arc and the C arc and which arc I would be uh, encouraged to board. Well, well, <laughs> because yeah. a, a lot of what I do uh, with computers really, as soon as the electricity goes off, doesn't exist. So it it does make make you wonder if you're really contributing to the advancement of humanity at all. Well, I mean, r remember what happened to the Golgofrinchians, the the people who stayed on the planet. Oh, weren't they wiped out by a... An, an infected telephone. Yes. <laughs> COVID-79 COVID or whatever. COVID-79, exactly, yeah. So it just shows you think you're not important, or they think you're not important, mm -hmm. but if they need, a, they need a, their telephone disinfecting, wow. Who's laughing now, Golgofrinchians? Yeah, who's laughing now? <laughs> An unsanitized telephone. I just liked all the reasons that they gave, and my favorite one is the uh, ravenous mutant star goat eating the planet. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's, I mean, obviously, there's like a British kind of class system thing going in here. It's like lower class, middle class, upper class. Mm -hmm. It's the middle class who get you get shunted off. You to get shunted Earth. off into space. <laughs> um, I mean, again, you look at those classic kind of sketches from the from the 60s with um ronnie corbett and john cleese and ronnie barker where you know i'm i'm upper class and i'm middle class and i'm lower class mm -hmm. i mean the whole that is that whole class thing basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so i'm basically upper middle class so i guess I'd you're be a, on, you're the arc <laughs> i'd be on well no i'm i'm, I'm middle i'm middle class oh, okay. no, I'd, I'd be on i'd be on the b art with mm -hmm. i'd just be like i'd be the guy having the bath <laughs> 
I'd be number one and number two. Never lonely with a rubber duck. Nope, he's definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, and all that stuff with you know addressing the chair—it's a rock. I mean, it's just you know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's funny. It's funny, but it's it you know it's complete like it's it's sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Actually, the other thing it was reminding me of like the Fallen Rise of Reggie Perrin. Oh, with Grot. Yeah, and just you know, I can't. What's what's the boss called? I can't remember his name now. CJ. Um, CJ, that's it. You know, I just didn't all get that. where I am today by listening to other people tell me where they were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, uh, I I love the Fall and Rise of Reggie Perrin. The Fall and Rise of Reggie Perrin is wonderful, very funny. wonderful yeah. series. Yeah, 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 yeah. The joke I found the most amusing over the years is that they turn leaves into the uh, yes. tender of currency, <laughs> and to yeah. deal with inflation, they decide to burn down all the forests. I thought that was perfect. <laughs> it's perfect because it's entirely logical. <laughs> Create that scarcity. Yeah, you have a currency where where you have too many pounds, you have too many dollars in the system. Okay, mm-hmm. well, you need to take some dollars out of the system then. Uh-huh. You know, you've accidentally printed too much money. Well, you know, you got to remove some of that money. <laughs> so perfect. And it's just, I mean, that seems to me to be very Adams, actually. Mm-hmm. That that piece. You it's know. also very nineteen seventies, late nineteen seventies too. That that's a perfect solution to the. Uh, sick man of europe there yeah it's also a perfect solution to the problem of forests as well you know? <laughs> yes yeah, the problem of forests the problem of forests yeah uh, the famous um i don't know the um was it even war is it, i think it's auburn o- war who's even war's um son was like a famous contrarian curmudgeon and a kind of I think during the 1970s kind of opined that um you're catching you know whale People were catching whales and whales were being made into cat food. You know, it's like he thought he said that, you know, that's actually a very good way of using up the whales is turning them to cat food. Um, Okay. Yeah. It's that contrarian 1970s. Like, actually, the environment is is for us to do with as we please. Hmm. Whether the environment likes it or not. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah. 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 I I would disagree, but. (laughs) So would I. So would I. But anyway, I think it was it's a it's a very very satisfying final episode, and it really kind of circles around that whole creation. You know, God doesn't exist; mm-hmm. life is meaningless. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you, life is meaningless yet beautiful anyway. I mean, I yeah. think that's the that's the final message: is you mm-hmm. know, you don't you don't need to have a god or a meaning of life in order to enjoy life. Yeah, you just get on with it. Yeah, I think they end with looking over a beautiful landscape and yeah. Uh, a meandering river, rolling hills, and burning forests, and <laughs> yeah, so two out of three ain't bad. Two or three ain't bad, you know. And there is no, you know, they know the answer to the ultimate question, but <laughs> they don't know the question. Well, they they tried to get it uh, six by nine, but uh, it's not quite right. <laughs> not, not quite, quite right. right. Yeah. yeah, something's wrong with the universe. Yeah, yeah. So you know, maybe you don't need answers, and you don't need questions. All you need to do is just, you know, be in the moment. Appreciate the beauty that's in front of you in the moment. Live in the moment. Mm-hmm. Be here now. Be here now. Exactly. Well. I think that wraps it up for us here. I think it does. Thank you for listening to our bonus six episodes of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been watching The Forest Burn with Ben. And I didn't get the... Oh, actually, you know, hang on. There's one more thing that I... I'm I'm looking at my... Desperate look at my notes here. Okay. I also love the fact that actually all the way through, and this really kind of... coalesce for me at the end like everybody really hates the book 
Like <laughs> it's it, you know this idea that the show is called after this book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. But like everybody in the show thinks the book is like nonsense and useless mm-hmm. and pointless. And Zephod's really contemptuous of it. It's and... completely <laughs> contemptuous, completely contemptuous, which mm-hmm. is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 I can't think of an effective sign-off, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful world. It's a wonderful world. Ah, uh, yeah. wonderful world. Skies of blue. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Farewell. Goodbye. Bye. I see trees of green. Red roses too I see them blue For me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white Bright blessed days, dark sacred nights, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the skies, also on the faces. Of people going by, I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Yes, I think to myself.